you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed. Today, we're taking a look back at the impact COVID-19 has had on various communities in Edmonton over the past year. Our latest vital science topic gives a snapshot of how mental health, employment, food security, and other social elements have been affected. It also shows how pre-existing inequalities caused more challenges for marginalized communities, such as seniors, people with disabilities, and racialized people. As an example, people of South Asian heritage report higher instances of COVID-19, understanding that this community often works in jobs with higher risk of exposure. We saw this play out in outbreaks in the meatpacking plants. 70% of Cargill's employees are of Filipino descent. And as we all know, our quality of life and mental health has been impacted. Again, it's not the same for everybody. While some have had good opportunities arise from having more time at home, others have struggled to cope with isolation, unemployment, and more. On a scale of 0 to 10, the average life satisfaction among Canadians declined from 8.09 in 2018 to 6.71 in 2020. The pandemic has affected each of us differently. Though we're all in the same storm, we are in different boats. On this episode, correspondent Emily Rendell-Watson introduces us to three Edmontonians to explore how COVID-19 has impacted each of us differently. We'll meet Marco Luciano, director of Migrante, Métis singer and songwriter Brandon Baker, and Toby Obatussin, president of the Black Pharmacy Students Association. We'll hear about how their communities and families have navigated this past year. This month marks one year since the World Health Organization declared a pandemic. The first presumptive case of COVID-19 in Edmonton was announced on March 6, 2020. Since then, more than 1,900 Albertans have died because of the virus. Mayor Don Iveson called the past year likely one of the toughest many of us have experienced. In a statement, he elaborated to say that Edmontonians have missed key life events, been separated from friends and family, lost livelihoods, and suffered deaths. The pandemic has had a profound impact on our quality of life, food security, mental health, the economy, and much more. I want to introduce you to three Edmontonians. Each has their own story of how COVID has affected them. Marco Luciano is the director of Migrante Alberta, a nonprofit advocacy and self-help organization for migrants and precarious workers. It is affiliated with Migrante Canada, a national alliance of Filipino migrant organizations. Hello. Hello, Emily. So I wanted to start off by asking you maybe an obvious question, but something I think that, you know, there's there's a different answer for every single person for sure within our city and then obviously across the country. But how has COVID impacted you? 
like anybody else, I think it was a lots of adjustments in the household. My daughter, who is university, started going to school from home. My wife as well, who's a teacher, uh, started teaching at home. So for us here, the setup suddenly changed, right? I, I got the closet in the basement. <laughs> you know, my daughter got the office and my, my wife got the bedroom. So there's a lot of changes. But also health-wise, I think it's a lot of... Um, reading a lot of finding out what this COVID is and, and making sure that myself and my family and a couple of people living with us here are also knowledgeable of what we're facing. And of course, you know, coping with, with a lot of cabin fever and, and boredom is really challenging, especially in times where we're trying to find a place to, to go or at least, you know, get some fresh air. More than half of Canadians have reported that the pandemic is having a significant impact on their households, similar to, to some of the things that you just explained, whether that's mental health-wise or financial. But the virus has also disproportionately affected marginalized communities. And two of the largest outbreaks in Alberta were at meat processing plants. And you lead an organization called Migrante Alberta, which advocates for temporary foreign workers in our province. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've seen over the past year, how the pandemic has impacted people in that community? Yes, you know, um, and my community, the Filipino community, there's a lot of us uh, that came through an economic uh, working work class system. And, and that would mean many of the Filipinos here in Alberta, in Edmonton, work in in sectors such as food industry, you know, healthcare industry, and, and those are the uh, those what I mean when when I say um, you know there's a disproportionate in terms of the impact of COVID, because these people are actually in the front lines, you know, um, of providing services to Albertans. You know, when the crisis hits around March and April last year, many of the Filipinos uh, that work at the healthcare industries whether they are nurses or healthcare aides, they were really uh, at the forefront of this, you know, unknown at that time um, in terms of um, how to deal with it. Thus, many of them are infected by the virus. Similarly, a lot of these workers also are from the uh, low-wage food sector. You know, you mentioned about meat plants. A lot of them work in, in meat processing plants in, in High River, you know, and Brooks um, during the outbreak in April. Uh, many Filipinos there are affected. We went to do our outreach there, and uh, a lot of them uh, uh, stayed home without any uh, support. Recently, the outbreak in uh, Red Deer, Olimel uh, meat plants, there's also a lot of Filipinos there. There are some that are temporary workers still um, in terms of their immigration status, but there's a big population of, of Filipinos in those workplaces, and, and now they are determined to be uh, so-called essential services. No, so so my community have been providing labor uh, force to Alberta, you know, since 2002. And e even though they are now permanent resident, they still continue to be part of those uh, industries. Uh, they are the ones that are at the forefront um, of of, uh, of this essential services. Right. And aside from, from the health impacts, obviously, there's also that ripples out into other areas as well. Like, for example, the meat processing plants, et cetera. When some of those places close down, there's also other impacts. What what has that mm -hmm. been like for people? Um, yeah, for sure. You know, those that are, um, you know, either temporary laid off or permanent, you know, uh, 
lay off, the impact economically to their families is huge. Um, not everyone was able to access the uh, Canada Benefit Funds uh, or CERB. Many of them are um, ineligible um, for CERB for, for the reason uh, or one reason or another, whether it's um, not meeting the requirement of uh, work hours uh, that they had prior to COVID, uh, the economic impact of this. And, and of course, the concern suddenly shift to where am I going to get my food to eat tomorrow? And the worst, uh, I think, sector in, in our community are, are the uh, undocumented uh, Filipino migrants, right? Um, uh, many also in Alberta, in Edmonton in particular, that are now uh, living with us um, in, in Alberta that have no uh, immigration status. So they're more vulnerable um, in terms of the economics, but also the, the health situation, right? These undocumented migrants are not able to access health care. No, um, and that would mean were they are they able to access uh, COVID testing, or what happens to them when the vaccine rollout? So that's a, another concern, not just to all Alberta, particularly within our community, the Filipino community, because many of them are former uh, temporary foreign workers that uh, that made that that hard decision to to stay to stay in Alberta and and live here, even though they do not have uh, access to services. Okay, and you're working with a lot of these folks. You've heard their stories. You've been able to, you know, witness some of what they've gone through over the past year. How are they feeling? Um, anxious, <laughs> if I could say it in one word. But I think it's it's really a mixture of. Um, upon talking to uh, many of them, many of them are migrant workers, so they're anxious about. Uh, how are they going to survive in in Alberta for undocumented migrants? How can they get vaccine for those who are temporary workers with that status? What's going to happen to them in terms of their work permit um, if their employers have shut down because of COVID? And of course, uh, these migrant Filipinos also worry about their families back home. Uh, since they are the breadwinners of the family, it takes them three or four jobs, you know, for them to be able to send the same amount of money for their family to survive in the Philippines, uh, given the fact that the uh, response to COVID uh, back home is really, the people are not very well taken care of in terms of COVID response back home. So they worry about themselves, they worry about their families, and they worry about their future in Canada, you know, and this is only for uh, migrant workers, who's the most vulnerable in our community. What about you? Like, how are you feeling in terms of when you look at your the Filipino community in Edmonton as a whole? How do you feel about what's been happening? I, I feel bad. I feel compelled to do something more than we used to. And, and in our organization uh, in the last year, you know, at the beginning of the, the you know, the, the pandemic, we thought that, uh, okay, our, our programs will be reduced a little bit. Um, but that's not the case. You know, we have more work. Uh, and that that meant really going uh, around doing outreach to those that are uh, in a very vulnerable situations that might not have any groceries to eat. So we're able to uh, went around and distribute food hampers, for example. We were busy, and 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 I think it helps a bit in terms of providing support to the community, but also for my personal mental health. You know, um, I was an organizer, and I've been an organizer, and I'm still an organizer, and and that would mean connecting with people. I cannot imagine if I stay home 
and do nothing for one year, right? So it, it also helps me in terms of my mental health. Sure. And I'm sure you're learning lots of new ways to connect with people as well. For sure. For sure. I mean, different ways, not just a, a face-to-face um, uh, meetings now. Of course, everybody's using Zoom. I am Zoomed out. It, it helps people connect. Right. On, on a lighter note, though, um, I think it also helps our community to step up. You know, So I see other uh, individuals in the Filipino community, organizations to really step up and you know, um, try to address the issues of our community. And whether it's through donating, collecting foods, helping us deliver some goods, you know, our community got themselves together and, and, and also stepped up. Right? The pandemic is still very much with us. I think we're starting to see maybe a little glimmer of hope uh, on the horizon as vaccines start to be delivered and, you know, more and more people are vaccinated. But there's still going to be very much this rebuilding phase once the pandemic is over. When it comes to the Filipino community in Edmonton and some of the, the workers you've talked about, what do you think that looks like? How will this community recover and rebuild? You know, like any other migrant community, they are resilient. You know, they will rebuild. I think it will be in a different form. I think COVID uh, will be COVID. It will be there, right? They, we might have vaccine. We were hearing about new variants, right? How our community adopt to this new lifestyle, this new type of communications, this new type of community building is really important. And I think there are organizations in the community, there are people in the community are, are also ready to, um, to adapt to this, new, this, this new normal. This whole masking health restrictions will be part of our, our life uh, from now on. And, and that should be uh, adopted in terms of how we build our community how we connect with people and how we do our programming in terms of our organization, right? So yeah, but I think like any other community, um, we are resilient. We will start doing our things from celebrating our history, celebrating our culture to actually providing services to, to our community. It will continue. It might be in different form, but it will continue definitely. That was Marco Luciano, Director of Migrante Alberta. While COVID certainly has been devastating for so many Edmontonians, there have also been some silver linings of a year spent cooped up at home. Brandon Baker is a Métis guitarist, singer, and songwriter whose band Electric Religious released a single during the pandemic. I asked him about how COVID-19 has affected his work over the past year. There's there's aspects of it that it's really affected heavily, like live performances, of course, and actually physically getting together with our band to like rehearse and practice and write new songs and all that kind of stuff has been a real challenge. We have the ability to do a lot of stuff kind of on our own. Like we have a like a recording studio in our basement and uh, we've been writing songs for a new record. And so COVID has really allowed us a chance to kind of reconnect creatively and um, still keep the momentum going in terms of like writing new songs and writing new record and practicing the material that we have. It's been really, really good because we've been able to kind of focus a lot more on what we want to accomplish. So getting plans together for the next year and all that kind of stuff has been a huge focus of ours throughout the throughout the pandemic yeah one thing that we were able to do is we were able to still release music and we were able to film music video and we were able to film a live performance video very safely and of course abiding by all the regulations but so like we we were able to still 
do a lot, even though there was a bunch of restrictions. We just creatively kind of worked around them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it, it forced you to come up with some innovative solutions to the ways you might have done things before, which is always a, a good way to push the envelope, I guess, as well. Absolutely. And I mean, like just spending time with, you know, a pen and a paper is kind of important too, because you don't always have a lot of time to do that. Whereas you're always rehearsing for a show or you're, you know, on tour or what have you, but like sitting down with a pen and a paper over coffee for you know several hours is like, you really have to do that as an artist every once in a while, because a lot of the times you don't really know what you're saying. You write songs and everything like that, but you don't know how they really relate to your life because it's just sort of like, okay, this is what's happening in my life right now. And so what ended up happening with us is that we were able to like write what we wanted to write, but then think about it a little bit more instead of having all the distractions of, you know, preparing for other things and whatnot. Sure. Yeah, I definitely identify with that, that that concept of slowing down. You mentioned time to reconnect as well. Has that extended to your family and home life also? A hundred percent. We might be the odd ones out, but this year has just been so fantastic for us personally, uh, just for our family and our relationship and our financial situation. It's just been, been really great. Um, we started the pandemic out with like, we're just taking all of the measures seriously, like wearing a mask and isolating and staying home and all this kind of stuff. And for the first little bit, we were like, oh, wow, like this is kind of boring. But then we realized quickly that like we were growing like a lot closer together as a family. We have a six-year-old son. Um, his name is Arthur. And he, he didn't go to school or anything like that. He is doing online learning. And so it's just the three of us kind of all the time. And we developed skills, I guess, over COVID to live more harmoniously, I guess, um, which has been a huge one for us because it just made our lives so much easier and we were able to pay off all of our debt through COVID. And so I don't know, like this year has been one of the best years of our lives personally. Did you have any challenging moments? I know like I live alone, so I don't have a lot of people in my space, but I know I've talked to people who there were some moments where trying to navigate how to get to maybe that harmonious <laughs> interactions that you're talking about. Was it a little tricky or did you find it pretty seamless? Of course, there's always moments you're learning as you go when you're locked up basically together. We just realized quickly that like you catch more, what's the saying? You catch more flies with honey. Mm, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's like, it's like something that might bother you. You just sort of ha are forced to kind of let it go a little bit and just look at the reality. It's like, look, this might bother me. And then we can go to work for eight hours and then come home and it, you know we're not even thinking about it anymore blah 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 but when you're you know meters away from a person while you're having these troublesome moments like you really have to develop the skills quickly to sort of overcome those hurdles which we are able to do and uh yeah so I'm really proud of our little family here <laughs> do you hope to keep that going even beyond the pandemic like you know not that that it's ending tomorrow mm -hmm. when things do start to get back to normal or, or more what that normal will look like in the future. Mm -hmm. How do you plan on keeping that connection going? Are you just going to try to keep the pace a little slower or? Our lives are super busy. And so I don't know if the pace is going to be able to be slow. I'd love to keep it slow, but um, really it's just developing the habits right now that we, that we're noticing the way that we're handling, 
you know, all the ups and downs is developing good habits. That was the big thing that we, me and Olivia, my partner talked about a, a lot was, you know, like, how can we make this a habit? And how can we positively show the other person that like, hey, you just did a really great job in sort of like, just kind of letting that frustrating moment roll off your back and all that kind of little stuff, you know, that before might have gotten to us a little bit. Right. You've put out a single during the pandemic and have an album coming out in September. Can you tell me a bit more about what that process was like doing that over the past year when things weren't as normal, maybe (laughs) (laughs) compared to what you would do when you're normally releasing a single? I'll start sort of like bird's eye view a little bit. Normally, the only thing that was different this time around with releasing music is that we weren't able to go out and tour and perform. And that's a big, that's a big part of it. It's a huge thing because that's how you reach the most, the most people. But like everything else is sort of the exact same for us um, with the process, meaning that like it's still done basically 90% online and making connections and having Zoom meetings online and all that kind of stuff. And so releasing the single was, I guess, a walk in the park really because we didn't have to go out and plan tours and worry about losing money on the road and all that kind of stuff. I think COVID in general has been pretty devastating for the Edmonton arts community in a number of ways. And I'm sure you have lots of connections in that space. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've seen and and witnessed over the past year? The big one for me is just like how much the venues are struggling because that's sort of like the lifeblood really of of the live music scene. And like at, at its core, I think everybody creating art, it's like you need to go out there and show the people your art. And so like that's a huge one. If we don't have anywhere to go and do that because venues are closing, it's just not good. Mm-hmm. And some artists really thrive on that connection with the audience as well. It's just so like unfortunate because live music and the entire music industry sector in Alberta is like such a massive a part of the GDP there was a recent comprehensive study on the the music industry in Alberta done by West Anthem. And it found that we contribute like slightly less to the GDP of Alberta than agriculture does. And so when you think about it that way, the fact that like there's not really any help for Albertan live music venues is kind of shocking. It just takes my breath away. The fact that like we contribute just marginally less to the GDP than agriculture. I find that so fascinating. You know, people who really look forward to going to shows and that's how they gather with people they love. I think it's, aside from the fact that it's devastating for both the venues and artists, and it's been really difficult for a lot of Edmontonians. I know Edmonton, more so than anywhere else I've ever lived, I think has a, such a strong music and arts community here. Like it's going to change the way people digest music and it's going to change the way people release music. Like a lot of it's going to be more visual. You'll still have the audio, like the great music, but a lot of it's going to be visual and a lot of it's going to be like videos and live streams and live performance videos. And it might deteriorate the connection just a little bit, or it might make people that much more excited to go mm-hmm. back out and support when the time comes. Yeah. No, I know for me, I've been you know, happy to go to shows virtually and and support people that way. And it's still nice to be able to bring, I think in a different way, it's a different experience to bring Mm -hmm. an artist into your home and, you know, be able to be on the couch with a blanket and your dog and, and all that. But it it certainly is, you miss the atmosphere of being there with people and you feel like the energy in the room and 
and all that. So it is different for sure. Yeah, like having the, you know, the, the sub, the bass kind of like shake your heart a little bit. I miss that. Mm, that is very true. That's a great way to put it. As more people in Edmonton get vaccinated and we hopefully start to approach the end of this pandemic, how do you think that we're going to get through this last part of it as a city? What will end up happening, or I hope what ends up happening is that people understand the value of of art. And I know everybody appreciates art and everybody consumes art but i think understanding the true value of it and actually being able to sort of support it financially would be a huge thing for edmonton and edmonton artists and venues and all that kind of stuff the thing that i notice all the time is that like a group of people walks up to a a live music venue or a bar or whatever and they see the five dollar cover and then they'll say oh no like I'm not paying cover to go in to see a band, but they don't realize is that the cover goes to the band or they think that the bar is keeping the cover or whatever. And so like, I don't know, paying the cover, even though you might want to save that money for a beer or whatever, paying the cover is important. Buying merch at the merch table is important. Even if you don't plan on wearing the t-shirt or, or listening to the record, even it's a huge way to support artists and, and, give them a little bit of a bump as a city i think that like having a little bit more permanent solutions to out live music experiences outdoor would be a huge one like i don't see any reason why the folk fest stage isn't up all summer and then touring acts just play outside on that stage and then we just sort of make it like a amphitheater type thing like red rocks down in the states um stuff like more permanent like that would be a huge plus because then not only would local bands potentially be able to get on the stage or whatnot but i think that like a lot of the fact that we have very few major concert venues if you know what i mean like we have rogers place and we have the windspear and the jubilee but like adding a few more of those major venues will attract even more major artists and then that sort of filters down through through everybody's appreciation and love of the local live music scene too that was brandon baker a professional musician here in edmonton our third account is from toby obatison a third-year pharmacy student at the University of Alberta. She shared her experience going through school during the pandemic and talks about the impacts it's had on Black Canadians. Hi, Emily. How are you? Good. So I wanted to start out by asking you, you're a third-year pharmacy student at the University of Alberta. What has it been like to go through school during a pandemic, especially in a healthcare field? It's, it's been a little bit of everything, I would say. It's been challenging, but there have also been um, some good things that have come out of, of, of being a student um, during the pandemic. I remembered when the lockdown started, I was talking to my husband and I said, well, I hope this, you know, kind of clears up in a few months. And he looked at me and chuckled and said, well, the Spanish flu lasted for years, so good luck with that. yeah so it's been a lot of things it was a little bit difficult to adjust at the very beginning when we went into lockdown and having to study from home do everything from home and not really getting that much of a social interaction with people I think my mental health took a lot of heat uh, with that I went into um, full-blown anxiety figuring out life and uh, figuring out what the future holds Typically, I like to have like my life planned out and, you know, have all those things that I need to do and having a plan for the summer. But with COVID, there was that loss of control. 
And we learn about loss of control a lot in healthcare professions in school, because when we talk about our patients, we talk about how they lose control and they have that sense of anxiety when they just get diagnosed. And I felt a little bit of that at the very beginning of the pandemic. It's a little bit better now. I was able to get support. I have a very supportive husband and um, my, my mom and my siblings are also very supportive. So they really stepped up when they realized that. I was having issues with with my mental health and and they kind of just rallied around and 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 tried to see how they could make things better for me. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of Canadians that have said that mental health has been negatively impacted by COVID-19 and I think even higher numbers among women. You mentioned your friends and family have really helped rally around you to get you through that mm-hmm. and kind of support you. How else has COVID impacted your life? What what about your family life? Um, in terms of family life, I would say, um, in a way, it helped because myself and my husband, he just moved here from Nigeria a few years ago, um, actually about a year and a half ago. And he's been kind of trying to find work, but um, everything that he was kind of working on before COVID, everything just kind of blew up after we went into a lockdown. So all the prospects that he had for work, that just kind of went downhill. Outside of that, not being able to get a job. I, I think it's been good for us in a way because um, we kind of sat down and re-strategized, okay, there's no work, so what are we going to do next, right? And we were able to come together as a family to make plans on how to move forward. And it's also kind of nice because, he, he, so he did decide to go back to school, so that's what he's doing right now. He's trying to get his um, accounting designation because he's an accountant. But but then, like, we, we, we have our routine. So I study at home, I do school from home, he does school from home. So it's kind of nice to have that and helping each other to study and just... Um, kind of encouraging each other that, okay, I know you're feeling down right now, you know, but we're, we're going through the same type of stuff. We're both in school, we're studying together, we're taking classes together. So just having that encouragement, I think it's, it's really helped in that way. Mm-hmm. So speaking of school, you started the Black Pharmacy Students Association a couple months ago. What was that process like during the pandemic to set that up? And, and can you tell me a little bit about how that came about? We had a lot of stuff or having to do with a lot of stuff in the black community over the summer. A lot of these things uh, with police brutality and um, lack of black representation across board in a lot of profession. It's been something that's, I mean, it's it's been happening for a long time. As a first year pharmacy student, the first thing that I noticed was that there's not a lot of people that look like me that's here. So the few black people that were in the pharmacy program as at the time when I got in, there were people that I just kind of gravitated towards because we have a lot of lived experience in common. So we've kind of had a community going even before we came together and said, okay, let's make this official. So it was very easy to to kind of get everybody together because we were, we're all friends. We have each other's phone numbers. We used to get together and have like our own like little get togethers um, sometimes during the summer just to kind of touch base. We we thought that it would we would have a platform that would allow like black pharmacy students to use their collective voice to address systemic racism and barriers in our education and in admissions, curriculum and wellness and engagement. Right. And something very important to have at any time, but I imagine that that support and, you know, wanting to put an emphasis on formalizing that association was even more so 
crucial during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Because we have we have students that they they were stuck in Edmonton. They couldn't really go back home. Their family's not here. I mean, it's been nice to have that community to talk things through with, to kind of see how can we better the the health of even our own like our own community and other racialized communities as well. Some of the research that Edmonton Community Foundation's Vital Signs found was that Black Canadians are three times as likely to know someone who has died of COVID-19. It also measured how much more difficult it has been for some of those people to pay rent or access good food. What has that looked like for you or people close to you? Is that something that rings true? Mm-hmm. On the financial side of things, yes. Um, <laughs> it was very challenging. And even for other people that we've known, just to kind of financially get by, for some even more difficult than others. I've been very privileged because I was able to get support. My siblings kind of stepped up, so that that helped. Grants that you would call them or bursaries that I was able to apply for as a pharmacy student that also kind of helped to ease that financial stress but um, I cannot begin to imagine what it would look like for people that don't have that same privilege that I had and that's that's one side of it and then the other side of it is having to also experience death there's been a lot of death in the black community and it's not even just the COVID related deaths but even like other non-COVID related debts that have happened within the Black community and having to deal with the stress of finances and having to deal with the stress of hearing about somebody that you know dying almost, you know, every 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 couple weeks or every week. It can be really tough. And and I I, I think um for some more than others it's it's been worse. We've had a few people in our own close community that have passed away. Some were not COVID-related, um, some were. I remember um, a specific one that it was, it, this, this was even closer to home because this person is my husband's mentor. Weeks after, after this person passed away, I would wake up in the middle of the night, nightmares about death, scared. And sometimes I would just watch my husband sleep and try to feel his pulse to make sure that he's still breathing. And um, it's it's um, it's it's been it's been challenging dealing with death in in the community for sure. Uh, like any kind of death is never easy to deal with, and no matter how much you feel like you're okay, I can process this. I can I'm I'm gonna go for counseling. I'm gonna talk it out with people. Sometimes it still stays longer with you, and you never know which one will hit you hard than the other. So it's. You, you, I, I guess you just take it one day at a time. You're just trying to hope for better on some days, and some days it's it's not so good, and you just you're just tired. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good way to put it. Just just being tired. I mean, I can't you know even imagine what you've been through in terms of experiencing that in your community. But I do know that it's even harder now to support one another, or you know, just having to find different ways to support one another through these things because that in-person support isn't as easy as it as it was you know mm-hmm. a year ago toby as edmonton continues to battle through this pandemic we've hit the one year mark since it began mm-hmm. how do you think we're going to make it through this what would you tell your fellow edmontonians 
Well, the first thing, <laughs> I think the pharmacist in me would say this, get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're able to, I know there's some people that might have different health conditions that might not allow them to get vaccinated based on the kind of research that, that we have right now. But if you're able to get vaccinated, please get vaccinated so that we can keep the people that are not able to get that vaccine safe and provide that herd immunity for them. I would also say, Let's all give ourselves grace. Let's not be too hard on ourselves. It's been a very tough year for every single person. Like there's nobody that this thing has not hit hard. So just take one day at a time, take a deep breath, get support, reach out to people, reach out to um, crisis centers. If you feel like you're going through stuff that you cannot handle, protect your mental health. Uh, It's very important. If you have to stay off social media for a little bit, take a break. Let's just be gracious to one another and let's let's extend support if we're able to support other people. That was Toby Obatison, a third-year pharmacy student at the University of Alberta. And of course, a big thank you to Toby, Marco, and Brandon for sharing their personal experiences for the podcast. As we look to the future, more than 308,000 doses of the COVID-19 vaccines have been administered in Alberta. We still have a ways to go, but that does give me hope that we're on our way to better days. I hope we can reconnect with one another in our communities soon. Until then, take care. Thanks very much to Emily Rendell Watson for bringing us that story. And thanks to Marco Luciano, Brandon Baker, and Toby Obatussen for sharing your time with us. You can find a link to all of our stats and resources for the COVID-19 in Edmonton vital topic in our show notes. That's also where you can find out more about today's guests and see our latest blog. We are continuing to provide grants from our regular granting streams, so we'll also have links to our upcoming student awards and granting deadlines. Be sure to check out those funding opportunities. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, be sure to share it with your friends and family. If you have time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find our show. And you can visit us on Facebook where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Elizabeth Blonkink. Until Until next next time. time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.